Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Over the last few days, I had uh, numerous conversations with Frank and uh, decided that uh, it's time for a new voice around here. Um, you know, sometimes my job really sucks, and this is one of the toughest things I've done because the respect that I have for, for Frank. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, I had uh, time to think about it and, and watch the team throughout the year. Um I know a lot of you didn't expect us to make the playoffs, but obviously I have a lot higher expectations than most people for how our team should play and how far they should go in the playoffs and how they should compete every night. Um, and I just came to the conclusion that uh, I felt that it's necessary for these guys to, to hear a new voice. And welcome into the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. The Indiana Pacers 2015-16 season is over with. The Pacers lost in seven games to the second-seeded Toronto Raptors. It went down to Game 7, but ultimately they were unable to come out with the victory the other night up in the Air Canada Center. Pacers finished the regular season 45-37, and and ultimately lost in the postseason 4-3 in that best-of-seven series. Well, a couple days after their season concluded, right away you get to thinking about what's next. And if you want to go in the same direction with the same guys. And ultimately, Pacers president of basketball operations, Larry Bird, decided, no, he's going to make a change. So then Thursday morning, Bird held a press conference at Banker's Life Fieldhouse where he announced and made it official that Frank Vogel was out as its head coach. Now, one of the things that was surprising going into this season that we've learned later now was that he was a lame duck coach going into this season. His contract expired at the end of this fiscal NBA season. So he would either have to get a new contract or go elsewhere and talking about Frank Vogel. He signed a multi-year extension, they announced, back in 2013, right before the start of the 2014 season where they played without Paul George. But in turn, what ended up happening was Frank got one more year tacked on. So now Frank Vogel is currently out of work, but he shouldn't be for long, at least if it's up to him. There aren't a ton of choices out there for him to go to Sacramento, Houston, as well as the New York Knicks. But if I'm Frank, I'm laying low for a year. I'm enjoying my life with my kids and my family and the life that I have with them. I'm taking it as a a gap year, maybe, if you will, to learn more about the game and do it. Ex-Bulls coach, now Timberwolves head coach Tom Thibodeau did, and visit various training camps. Learn more about the game. See where you can get better and and make it a, a big developmental year for himself. And also, enjoy your family. He'll have a 7th grader and a 5th grader going into next year. That will be their grades, Alexa and Ariana and yeah, you're with your girls for five, six months in the NBA offseason, even though it's not so offseason anymore. But 
How many times did he, he miss something in December or have to FaceTime one of their birthdays or be away for New Year's Eve, for instance? I think he might enjoy, I sure would, being with my family more often, although it would just be for another year. And from Frank's perspective, he's going to get paid. Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo Sports reported the other day that Vogel earned an estimated $2.5 million, just $2.5 million for this coaching job this season. In comparison, Tom Carina down at Indiana made over $3 million, especially when you factor in bonuses. It was probably closer to $3.5 million. Scotty Brooks, Tom Thibodeau, they just got new gigs. And yeah, they take on a little bit more role when it comes to management, but they're getting seven, eight million dollars per year. So there is no doubt the Pacers were paying Vogel well under his market price. Now for the Pacers, what's next? Well, Bird talked on Thursday about how he just felt this team needed a new voice and fresh perspective, someone else for these guys to listen to. Here's some of his comments. We've been around the history of the game for a lot of years. My experience has been good coaches leave after three years. I don't think Frank ever lost the locker room, but I, I think at times players just don't listen. You know, you got to keep them mentally focused, and and uh, if you have a new voice and uh, a new strategy, you hold their attention longer. It's just the voice, you know. I mean, it really is. It's just, you know, every day the same voice and the same. I think guys sometimes tune that out. I mean, it, it happens. Uh, it's unfortunate, but through my experience, Frank was here five and a half years, and that's a long time for me for a coach. We got some good players, and we got two guys I think are really good players. And uh, how are we going to get the other guys to, to raise their level of play? And uh, that's what the new coach is going to do. Well, you, you guys know that I like to score more points than what we're scoring this year. Um, in an offensive efficiency rating. We're about the same as we was last year. We were 23rd this year, 24th last year. Um, we went from 27th to 12th in fast breaks, and I think that's because we got more steals and Monte was out leading the break a lot. But, yeah, I like to score more points, and I hope we can do that. Our defense with Dan Burke's been great, uh, like it has every year. Um, obviously, we, we can do a little bit more with high pick and rolls, probably a little bit better job, but... It's all about scoring some points. Bird says he does not have a timeline for when he wants to hire a coach or get it done. He's compiled a list, and he said he first seriously considered making a coaching change back at the All-Star break, and that's when the Pacers were really having their difficulties. Remember those games they didn't close out, like against Chicago or down in Miami or that blowout to Charlotte? They struggled mightily against the Charlotte Hornets all season long. Bird isn't one to just act right away, so it would make sense for him to start compiling a list, maybe reaching out through a third party to see who might be interested, see who would be available, see who would work well, because there's no doubt he wants to score more points. He wants a much improved offense, despite the fact that the Pacers' offense was still better. Their offensive rating was one spot better. They scored 4.9 points. Now, Bird did want six to eight more points, but still, you got some improvement there. And the defense, that's what this team has been known for in their back-to-back conference finals appearances. They were the top defensive-rated team in the NBA, all 30 teams. And they dropped down to eighth when Paul George missed last season. And then this year, look at the roster, and they were the third-best defensive team In the league. A lot of blame, and we'll talk about this more with Bob Kravitz of WTHR here on the podcast, is how much of this 
falls on Larry Bird. He bought the groceries. He dealt the cards. It was on Frank Vogel to make the meal. It was on Frank Vogel to play the hand that he could with the cards he was given. Some would say he overachieved. Some would say they hit expectation. They reached the playoffs for the fifth time in his six seasons. The only year that they haven't was the year without Paul George. The development of players under Frank Vogel has been strong. When you talk about guys like Lance Stevenson, like Roy Hibbert, even Solomon Hill this year. But the Pacers will have to get a new coach, and it's an interesting decision nonetheless considering how good of coach Frank Vogel is and how well-respected he is around the league. Again, if he doesn't want to, he won't be out of a job for too long. The strangest part about the, the entire announcement was that Bird informed Frank Vogel that he was no longer needed at the Pacers over the phone. He didn't talk with him in person. He didn't bring him in. He didn't go to Frank's house to talk to a guy that has worked for this franchise for nine years. This would have been his 10th season. Remember, he joined Jim O'Brien's staff in 2007, took over on an interim basis in 2011, led them back to the playoffs for the first time in five years. I didn't like the fact that Frank Vogel learned that he would no longer be employed at Pacer Sports and Entertainment over the phone. This move sounds less about X's and O's and execution on the court and more so about needing a more fiery guy, needing a guy that's more of a motivating coach that can fire his guys up and stay in their ear. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but consistently throughout the 23-minute press conference, which started right on time, by the way, because it always does with Larry Bird, I appreciate that, he kept going back to the fact that he wanted a new voice. He wanted a fresh voice for this locker room. And part of it goes back to his thoughts that after three years, a coach wears out his welcome. Well, consider the fact that Paul George, George Hill, Solomon Hill, and Jan Mahimi, the latter two of which are free agents and may not be back with this team, those are the only four guys that have been here for three years or more. In this league nowadays, guys change rosters much more frequently, and especially so as you're going to see big money offered this offseason as the TV contract kicks in and the salary cap will be over $90 million. Right now, the Pacers should have about $32 million estimated to spend in free agency. For more on this subject and to break down what exactly unfolded and where we now stand... Here's my conversation with WTHR sports columnist Bob Kravitz. Well, today was a big announcement down at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Pacers president Larry Bird announced that they're going in a new direction with their head coach. Frank Vogel is no more, and a search is immediately underway to talk about everything that happened and whether it's the right or wrong decision. I bring in WTHR sports columnist Bob Kravitz, friend of the show. Bob, thanks for coming on, making your first appearance on the podcast. My pleasure. What do I get for my first time? Do I get like a nice six pack of Heineken? What? What? How does this work? I think you got some quotes from today. I did <laughs> some transcriptions I, to save I you some time. That. I got your transcription services. <laughs> we need to hire I an intern or something, man. Yeah, I'm yeah, telling you, so that would save us so much time. Transcribe. It's a, it, we'll we'll figure out a way to take care of you. One of these days. One of these days. One and yes, days. we will dra- grab a beer or a couple here. So your first reaction, we're sitting there first row, and he says, it's time for this locker room to have a new voice. Well, I kind of thought that it was coming uh, these last two days, um, You know, especially since Adrian Wojnarowski uh, reported that this is, in fact, the last year of Frank's 
contract. I think most of us were under the impression that it went to 2017. But uh, once that happened, and he also reported there's been no talks about an extension, then you knew the writing was on the wall. My first reaction was, this is a bad move. And my second reaction was, wait, he did it by phone? Yeah. I thought, oh, my I goodness. That, that really struck me the wrong way, and I'm sure it it should strike everybody the wrong way, including and especially Frank Vogel, that this guy gave you five and a half really good years. He uh, helped uh, get you out of the post-O'Brien, post-Brawl, uh, you know, morass that they were in. And this is the way you thank you. You know, at the very <laughs> least, take the guy to lunch or, you know, bring in lunch at your office or something. To do it over the phone, I think, is really weak. And, uh, you know, I think that Frank Vogel uh, deserved a whole lot better than that. No, you're absolutely right for the loyalty and commitment to the franchise that Frank Vogel showed over these last five and a half, six years. He he took them from a Jim O'Brien days where they didn't reach the playoffs at all. First time in five years they reached the playoffs, and the only year in his time they didn't. They were without Paul George, one of the top ten players in the league. So, at least from those standards, he exceeded them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about how bad the things were under O'Brien, you had all these good young players like PG and, and Roy Hibbert and people like that who weren't even playing. And this guy came in, and they went 20-18 and 18 down the stretch, and they had a very competitive five-game series against Derrick Rose in his prime and the Chicago Bulls, and they continued to grow. They got to the second round of the playoffs, uh, I believe, the next year, mm-hmm. and two, two Eastern Conference Finals where they ran into LeBron and D-Wade. They ran into a, a, a team of a generation with, with those big three. Absolutely. And then, you know, even if you look at that Mulligan year without Paul George, uh, he still got them to within one game of making the playoffs, which I thought was remarkable. So uh, I think this guy has done everything you could possibly want from a head basketball coach. But I, I wrote this the other day, Scott. I really never felt like Larry Bird was completely bought, completely bought into what Frank was selling. That I think it was kind of the Mike Davis thing where he came in as an interim and did exceedingly well, and he's like, well, I guess i got to keep him now, and he kept doing well. And so I, I just think for a long time, Larry's kind of been looking for an excuse to pull the plug. Yeah, the, you talk about it. The, he had an excellent first 38 games, 120 of them led him to the playoffs, and then it got to the point where, well, we could keep him around as long. Hey, Frank, you must hire some experienced Assistant right. coaches, he did that. Kept winning and after back-to-back appearances in the conference finals. And after Paul suffered that compound fracture, they gave him a... What, what's in, strange to me is dubbed a multi-year extension. We went back and forth on Twitter about this. It was dubbed a multi-year extension. It ultimately ended up being this past season. Yeah, one and, year. And so... And I don't believe, now that I've talked to more people, that there was a team option. It expired this season. Right and, right, and so th- th- like that never, even after the, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row, Larry Bird was still not willing to do anything more for Frank Vogel than give him the one additional year, and that tells you everything you need to know. And you know, I don't know what Larry's looking for. If he wants a more, 
you know, seasoned coach, I don't, you know, or if it's a style of play thing or whatever. It just, you know, I, I think they got along fine, but I just don't think he was ever really Larry's guy. The the thing that struck me was he kept going back to we needed a, ne- a new voice and we needed a guy that can develop the guys outside of those two players of Paul George and Miles Turner. I think of Frank and I immediately think of somehow Roy Hibbert was a two-time All-Star. Right. And the verticality, and the law of verticality that they basically developed. And then Lance Stevenson, what has he done since? Exactly right. And 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 to think, I mean, I look at this team this year. I, I don't know how you felt before the season, Scott. I thought that they were not going to make the playoffs. I thought there would be about a 42-win team. And you know, now it helped that Washington and uh, Milwaukee both stunk this year, and that helped them get in the playoffs. But I just look at this team, and it's it's Paul George, it's the developing Miles Miles Turner, and then it's just stuff. It's just guys. I mean, you know, Larry gave Monte Ellis forty four million dollars over the course of four years. I don't know what he was expecting, but this is a guy coming off of knee surgeries, and you know. George Hill is George Hill. You'll get your your twelve to thirteen points and and what have you. But I just looked at this team and just did not see them. You're not going to go far. Yeah. You're starting four and five is Lavoy Allen and Jan Mahimi. With all due respect to, to those guys, and especially Jan, who I think had a very nice season. But you're just not going to go very far when those are. You're starting four and five. Yeah, Jan had his best season of his career and really did well despite playing through so many injuries. They for me, they were exactly what I thought they would be. They they'd be an outside te- or just inside the playoffs and probably a first round team and just over 500, 43, yeah. 45, 46 wins. But exactly yeah. what I thought. So, if anything, I would say they slightly overachieved and yeah. that's about it. Yeah, Larry doesn't look at it that way. Larry thinks this team should have been better. And you know, every general manager in every sport thinks that the team he put together is brilliantly constructed, and that if it wasn't for this stupid coach who can't coach him <laughs> up, uh, my team would be winning a championship. We saw it with Ryan Grixon and Chuck Pagano. We uh, we saw it with uh, Larry Bird and, and Frank Vogel, and you see it in, with virtually every other team. I mean, look at the Chicago Bulls. Tom Thibodeau was winning 50-55 games every year, but these guys thought that the team should be better, and also there was a lot of internal strife because Thibodeau is not a song-and-dance guy. He's not Mr. Friendly. And so they go to Fred Hoiberg, and what happens then? They fall completely uh, off the hill. So, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes you go from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr, and sometimes you go from Tom Thibodeau to, to Fred Hoiberg. You mentioned Monte Ellis, and that brought me back to kind of the romances that that's Bird's had with, with guys that he's always loved, and he's finally gotten his chance to get them. And they haven't done exactly what we have expected. First, you, you go back, Luis Scola traded away a first-round pick. Then this year, Chase Buttinger and his knees we knew going in were, were an issue, and he just couldn't play. So then no. they finally waived him, and Monte Ellis is another indication. Do you see a pattern there? Yeah, I, look, I, I think like Larry, when Larry hits, he hits. I mean, Paul George, Danny Granger, Miles Turner. But when he misses, uh, hands broke in a year when there were a lot of point guards out there. Seems like they've been looking for a point guard since about 1952. <laughs> since Mark uh, Jackson, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Really, since Mark Jackson. I mean, that's that's the truth. Um, 
uh, I'm trying to think of some of his uh, other busts. I mean, he did well with Lance Stevenson. Um, obviously, Plumley was ridiculous when you had Draymond Green available. And, and, I, and so I, many I, times I, I hate all of us saying that, but well, no, we everybody in the night. room was saying that that night. We were saying it that night, and that's why I don't second... That's why I'm willing to second guess mm-hmm. because we first guessed on that one. <laughs> we were all in that room going, "Oh, they got to get Draymond. They got to get Draymond." And then they get Draymond, and then you know the one. Look, I liked the trade of this Kawhi Leonard guy, whoever he was, coming out of San Diego State for George Hill because it was a team that needed a point guard, and who knew what Kawhi Leonard would turn into? But you know what? It's Larry Bird's job to know what Kawhi Leonard was going to turn into. And he turned into a megastar. So, I mean, you could have had, in theory, Kawhi Leonard. You could have had oh, Draymond Green. <laughs> you could have had Teague uh, or, or uh, one of those other point guards who came out that year. So, you know, there's a reason why they're a 40-45 win team virtually every year. I mean, and here's the other thing, too, Scott. When you're the Indiana Pacers and you're a small market team, that is not going to go into the luxury tax and really is not going to be able to bring in, you know, top-tier free agents. You've got to do everything else a little better than everyone else. And by that, I mean you've got to draft better and you've got to scout Europe better. And name for me the last guy that they brought in from Europe or somewhere overseas who's actually done anything with the Indiana Pacers. Oh, man. The first name that comes to mind is Sarunas Yasakevichis, but he, he flamed out when it comes to the NBA. His game did not translate. No, exactly. I mean, he could barely bring the ball up the court. Primo Brzezic, uh, remember him? Primoz Brzezic, yes, <laughs> yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Bruno, Bruno Sundov. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a throwback yeah, name, you too. Can't, you can't forget him. So, you know, you look at the good organizations, yeah, I mean, look at you know San Antonio, and you know obviously they're the cream of the crop. But they 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 get Tony Parker, who they drafted one one spot after uh, Jamal Tinsley. Uh, they go out and get Manu Ginobili in the second round. You know those are the teams that 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 do really really well and win championships. The Pacers have never done that. I don't know who their European scouts are. I'd fire them. Well, they actually you know? they they just hired a new in the last couple of years. Two years ago, they hired a new director of international scouting, and so it, I hope and, he's better than whoever they had before. <laughs> yeah, and that's and, but talking about jobs and Frank Vogel, that's one thing I I just hate about the situation because probably all the coaches except for Dan Burke are gone. Video coordinators are gone. And that right. that's one thing. The trickle down effect is something I don't think fans consider. Right, yeah, and uh, you know the thing about getting to know uh, some of these people, uh, you know, when you're covering them and you cover them on a daily basis, I just kind of parachute in and out when I when I feel like it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I've gotten to know Popeye Jones. We talk about hockey all the time. His both his kids, one plays in the NHL, the other ones in the minor leagues, and you know he's he was saying the other day how great it is being in Indianapolis because. His son, Seth, plays in Columbus for the Blue Jackets. And how great it is that he can just get on I-70 and go see him. Well, now he's going to have to probably pick up and go somewhere else. So, you know, it, it involves families. It involves wives and kids and everything else. you got to take kids out of school. And, you know, luckily Frank's kids are, are young enough that it probably won't hurt them too badly. But, 
you know, there's there's a very human element involved in all of this. Would you be surprised? I think this would be the best option for Frank, at least of the jobs open right now, Sacramento, New York, Houston. Take a, take a year off, do some broadcasting. I think he'd excel there and then have the pick of your litter of a probably six, seven, eight open jobs. Maybe so, but I, I still think Houston. Houston's a playoff team, and if they could just get, you know, get, getting back to the right voice, if they could get the right voice in there, um, I think that uh, Houston is probably the best option. Clearly, Sacramento is a, a dumpster fire, um, and the Knicks. You know, you don't. Yeah, first of all, you, you've got to teach the triangle, which is not where he cut his teeth. Is so, Phil ever going to move right? past that, Bob? No, probably not. Probably not. But yeah, the question is: Are, are Larry and and uh, Phil Jackson going to take a vacation together in Montana and, uh, you know, take a couple of weeks and try to figure out who the hell their coaches are? I'd like to see him sit out, enjoy his kids' seventh and fifth grade coming up this next year. Right. So right before the high school stages. I don't have kids, so I can't relate. But I think that would be special for him, and then he's going to have a payday. Because as Woj reported, Vogel was only getting $2.5 this past year, and the going rate nowadays, five, six, seven million. And so that's one of the things I asked Larry today, was is Herb Simon, the team owner, prepared to do that? And he gave me a short answer but said, yes, right. we'll do what's necessary. Yeah, I don't buy that, uh, Scott. I, I think that they, I think they're going to keep it relatively inexpensive. I mean, they're not going to go out and get a superstar. They're not going to get Calipari or Patino or anybody like that. And, and some of the big names are gone. I mean, Thibodeau and yeah. folks like that. I think you're talking about Hornacek. I think you're talking about Nate McMillan. I think you're talking about Brian Shaw. These are all guys who want a job. And these are all guys who will, you know, listen to Larry and let him do what he wants. And they will be grateful for the job. And they'll take 2 $3 million dollars. There's not going to be a five million dollar hiring, not in Indiana. No, my guess is three and a half million, maybe. I think yeah, that whatever, that, whatever the going rate is for <laughs> an unemployed coach who needs a job. Larry believes that three years and you're out. And you raise the question, okay? Yeah. We all know this. How about the prospective coaches? Do you think they will be fine with it? He goes, maybe so, but I don't think so. I don't think it'll impact it. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's right in the one respect. There's only 30 of these jobs in the world. And I think every guy has the confidence in himself to believe that he can be one of those long-timers, even for Larry Bird. Um, you know, we, they all, I think they all walk into the thing thinking, yeah, I can, I can survive for the long term. But, yeah, that's something I would have serious questions about working for Larry. And I, I like Larry a lot. I, I really do. But... You know, some of the things he said today where he uh, not so subtly mentioned that um, Frank basically was begging or pleading to keep keep his job, I thought mm-hmm. really uh, w- reflected poorly on Frank. Some of the things that he said uh, in the paper on, and on different websites where he's openly criticized Frank, I think working for Larry Bird has got to be difficult as hell. I really do. And... It's got to be tough working for a former superstar. Kravia, you raised a great point of of how Vogel maybe pleaded for his job or just pushed for it. To me, I I brought up a a different point. My thinking is we had a similar situation happen over on 56th Street. You were all over it. 
Chuck yeah. Pagano seems like he's one of Frank Vogel's good guys. He's sitting he's sitting courtside a couple games a year. I wonder if Pagano laid out what worked for him. Hey, this is ha- the, what I did. These are the kind of the stats. This was my approach. And maybe Vogel tried the same tactic. You know, that's a good question. That's something to uh, to ask uh, Chuck Pagano tomorrow. I, I believe he's available to the media. Uh, I won't be there because I'll be playing golf because I have oh, priorities. Be nice. that, that would be something to ask. But, you know, uh, I think Larry, you know, the fact that Larry said that he thought about making a move at midseason tells me that this thing was a done deal. Yeah. That unless they went absolutely crazy in the second half of the season or got to the second or third round of the playoffs, that 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 he was done. And, and nothing was going to change his mind necessarily. So, you know, maybe he tried to go to the Pagano playbook, maybe even even reached out to Pagano, but I just thought the whole thing was done poorly. You mentioned how how Larry Bird talked about he thought about this in the All Star break. I'm glad he mentioned it because I was probably I was thinking the same thing. He probably has been thinking about this. Maybe put him some phone calls for months now, trying to think of think of what guys he could possibly have. Because I have a hard time believing you're going to get rid of a coach like Frank Vogel, one of probably I don't know top ten coach in the league, yeah. and not have your next guy or at least know who you could get. If you did make a change, well, that that was something that kind of blew me away today. Where he said, "Well, I'm going to take some time, and I got a couple of names." I'll tell you what: if I get rid of Frank Vogel, I know who I want, and I know I can get him. But I think you know, I think what he might be doing is allowing this to sit a little bit and not like if like if a girl dumps you and she, right away she has a new boyfriend. Doesn't that just make it even worse? So maybe you, I would. I would know that's never happened. In my life. <laughs> oh, of course not. I think if you wait till mid next week, if he does have the guy, yeah, that would make yeah, a I ton of so. sense and make the yeah, situation yeah, a little I easier. I can see that. Now, again, I, I think I think Hornacek, I think McMillan, I think Shaw. Uh, I think you know. I think I'll tell you a guy who's really intriguing. I don't know how he would work, but Mike D'Antoni, you know, um, you know, you know they'll score. Now whether they have the players to score, I don't know. I mean, he had Steve Nash in Phoenix for all those years, and uh, and you know, uh, Stoudemire and a really good team, and clearly they don't have that here. But he would be very intriguing, and I know I know that Donnie Walsh thinks very, very highly of Mike D'Antoni. The question is, how much how much power does Donnie really have at this point? Which I don't think it's much. If I, if What I thought would have been best in this situation was keep Vogel, keep Dan Burke, and if you want this offensive firepower that hadn't been there, then you bring in an, uh, a key top assistant maybe to be an offensive coordinator, if you yeah. will. That would have been the route I would have taken. I, me too. Me too. I, I, I think that there was... There was a way to get through this, and honestly, you probably could have given Frank one more year. I, I don't think it would have cost you very much in terms of making a commitment long term. I think Frank is always, you know, he's a low, low ego guy who's just happy to have a job, you know, and and uh, so I think he probably would have accepted, you know, Larry's terms uh, terms there, and that's I agree with you. I I think that that's what I would have done. I think. They're letting a really good coach walk out the door. Has it been interesting to you that no current player has tweeted anything about it? We've seen tweets from Danny Granger and actually Roy Hibbard. Roy who, did, yeah. kind of threw Frank that. under the bus as he went out saying it'll be refreshing to play for a former player. Now he's saying, hey, that's a great coach. I right. love Frank. 
It's been interesting to me. I don't know if it's odd. Maybe they saw the writing on the wall, but not one Pacer player has tweeted anything about it more than 12 hours later. Yeah, yeah, that's a little interesting. Uh, I did notice that. Um, you know, like when Tom Thibodeau got run, you didn't see, I don't recall that any of those guys tweeted anything. And maybe the best thing to do for them is just to leave the situation. Well, you know, we, you know, we know who's in charge. We know who the superstar is, the Indiana Pacers organization, and it's Larry Bird. And you don't want to hack off the boss. You know, <laughs> and I think they all respect Larry. I think they all fear Larry. I don't think there's quite that same sentiment toward Ryan Grigson. So uh, I, I think that maybe the football guys felt a little freer to share their opinions on a public forum than some of these NBA guys. But, yeah, it would have been nice uh, for PG especially. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, we've heard crickets. Along the same lines, I think it was you also that asked this question. I'm kind of surprised that, at least to us, the media, Larry said, no, I'm not talking about potential coaches with my guys. If it's if I'm Larry, I'm talking with Paul George, and that's probably about it. Well, he did. If you go back and, and, and listen to it, and why would you want to, really? But... <laughs> it's 22 minutes long. Yeah, exactly. No, but if you listen to it, he did say he's not going to talk to his players, but as he gets close, he's probably going to give Paul George a call. So, And I I think that 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 makes sense. I mean, I don't care what George Hill wants, you know, with all due respect. And he's going into his final year of his contract. He may not be here for the long term. He may not be here, yeah. I got a feeling he's going to get moved, especially with a new coach who may want a real point guard uh, at point guard. But yeah, I think it makes sense to talk to Paul George. I have zero problem with that, just as I have zero problem with LeBron being central to every decision they make in uh, Cleveland because he runs the show. He's he's the star. When you think back to this last series with Toronto, where do you think – are we going to all look back at that game five where oh, yeah. they were up 13 and maybe that could have given Frank another year? Or Larry probably still make this move anyway. Yeah, that's a great question, and, and it's one of those rhetorical questions we'll never know the answer to. Yeah, um, it would have been really difficult to pull off a seven and two, seven two seed upset and get to the second round against the Miami Heat and fire a guy. I mean, if you think that people are angry today, <laughs> imagine if they had won in the first round, pulled off an upset that doesn't happen very often, and. You know, and then fire him because he lost in the second round. I think that would have gone over like a lead balloon. So, um, you know, would he have kept him? I, I, I don't know. I, I get, I just get the sense from listening to Larry that he's just been looking for a reason to let him go for a very long time. And you wrote about it on WTHR dot com, as where as it can be seen, where Bird appears to us at least to be more of the problem. Listen, Frank has has cards that he can play. But it's Bird dealing the cards. I mean, he's got a, just an average roster, and they've pushed Toronto Raptors, a good team, to seven games. That's what's astounding about what they were actually able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talked about what our, what our expectations were. And look, you know, Monte Ellis, Monte Ellis didn't have a bad year because of Frank Vogel. He had a bad year because he just didn't play well. You know, people look at Solomon Hill and say, why didn't he play earlier? Well, the reason is because <laughs> Solomon Hill was out of shape and did not prepare for the season. It played, uh, he was the worst summer league player in summer league history. <laughs> Probably, yeah. 
Yeah, and and it wasn't until they went down there and basically said, look, you're going to be a D-League guy unless you get your act together, that he finally got his act together and started playing the way he was supposed to play and working the way he was supposed to work. So, no, I, I just didn't see, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, Frank played the, all, this, all these subs to start the fourth quarter of game five. You know how long they were out there? Less than three minutes before he came back. And they still had a seven-point lead. It's not like they were already in a hole. Seven-point lead. So, yeah, they stunk up the joint, and they did the entire series virtually. But, um, you know, I I can't blame that loss on on Frank Vogel. His starters spit the bit late in that game, and they were no better than the the bench. They scored nine-hole points. In uh, in the fourth quarter, I think we do need to recognize you did at the end of the season the season that Paul George had finished tenth in scoring and clearly showed that he was the best player in that first round series. I'm surprised he came this far along in his first full season. How about you, Cravy? Yeah, you know the only surprise to me, uh, Scott, was I thought he would start slow and then slowly pick up steam and really get going uh, by the winter time. And what ended up happening was, I don't know if it was adrenaline or what. Yeah, I think so. He he came out and played lights out, and then he kind of hit the wall. And then he came back in the playoffs and played exceedingly well. But I think we started to see what Paul George can be. And that's not just an all-star, a la DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry. We're talking about a dominant superstar-type player, a top top five to top, top ten player. And... I just think it was it was astounding what that guy accomplished this year after after missing virtually an entire season. Yeah, it was it was fun to follow and watch. He hit a little bit of a wall, but then come playoff time, I think he he did a very nice job. We we saw in a couple post game press conferences. First, the players, uh, Paul said, him and Monte will try to work together see if they can make a recruiting pitch to another big star. Larry said today he's heard through the grapevine, of course, because he can't officially talk to anyone that guys are interested in coming here. Do you think this Pacers team with about $32 million in cap space, although every team has cap Everybody's space, got cap space. <laughs> you get a contract and you get oh, one. Yeah. Do you I'll think they can point, attract it? I'll be kind of a short guy in the corner shooting three. <laughs> Do no, you think it, they can attract a, another all-star type, say, I, point I, guard I or stretch four? Good. Yeah, I think they can get a secondary guy. You know, like uh, a guy who I think would be fascinating would be Harrison Barnes. You know, uh, but yeah, in a perfect world, they get themselves a point guard. They get Mike Conley. Uh, in a perfect world, they get a stretch four. Tom Rudez's trade was great, wasn't it, by the way? <laughs> they couldn't have used him this year. Yeah, uh, uh, right? Stretch four. And he was $1.3 million to <laughs> Buttinger's $4 million. Yeah, yeah, that made sense. No big deal. But. Yeah, no big deal. It's just money. It ain't my money. But, so, no, I, look, you know, Larry, at some point, Herb is going to see that Larry, look, he's done a a good job, a decent job, pulling this team out of that hole after the brawl. Okay? You know, two Eastern Conference Finals, or a playoff team every year, good. But, like I said before, if you're the Indiana Pacers with limited limited funds, uh, limited ability to draw free agents, you've got to do all the little things better than everybody else. And they haven't done that. 
Uh, I think they're middle of the road when it comes to that sort that sort of thing. Did it strike you as odd as Bird's last comment sounded like he was working for Visit Indy and pitching a commercial? We have yeah. great schools, good doctors, good hospitals. Yeah, I don't think yeah, that matters to these people. We, no, they want to know. Look, most you're going to have to find <laughs> a guy who is unique, like David West. Look, if you're a young guy who's 25 years old and you're single and you got a ton of money and you want to do the nightlife, Indy probably isn't you're going to be on your, your, your first 10 choices. But if you're David West and you're a family guy and, you know, your idea of a big night out is going to Applebee's and a movie, then, yeah, I think Indianapolis would probably be something you would consider. But So it, it's going to be tough. But I'll tell you what, I, Mike Conley is the guy that I absolutely want because I think he changes the entire dynamic of this franchise. He would be fun to have. He is coming off a minor Achilles injury, which you never know about, but this guy's due to make some money. I think he was like $9 million last year, and he could probably get something 15 16 17 a year. Well, yeah, he probably could, but you know what? I think he'd probably be worth it. You know I mean? For God's sake, you're paying George Hill $8 million. Mm-hmm. You're paying Monte Ellis, I think, $11 million. Uh, if you can get uh, a, a, a top-tier, all-star quality point guard, yeah, I, I would certainly uh, think about it. And, uh, look, they're not going to go over the luxury tax. We know that. Yep. They're going to have plenty of money to spend, so you might as well go get Mike Conley. The next coach, do you expect that individual to outlast Larry? Not necessarily Larry would get fired, but he's on a year-to-year contract. Do you ever see him, his back troubles, just had enough with those and traveling, or he's just had enough, or do you kind of see him being a competitor as long as he can? I can see Larry. I was talking to somebody last night. We were talking about possibilities in this press conference, and I told him I think he's going to let Frank go. But I said, you know, he is just quirky enough that he may say, you know what, I've given it whatever years. He started 2003, so what, 13 years? He's given it 13 years. He hasn't won a championship. I'm walking away. Let somebody else do this. And he has said in the past that if he can't get it done in a certain amount of time, that he's going to walk away. So I don't see Herb letting him go unless it all completely falls in the, in the, in the dumper. Yeah, I think um, he's loyal to a fault almost to Larry. He is totally loyal to a fault. Why does he have four assistant GMs or whatever he's got? He's got, I mean, he's got or two, actually. He's got a GM, a consultant, and a VP of basketball operations. Right, That's the brain exactly. trust. So, I mean, yeah, he, he's loyal to a fault, and he loves the idea of having Larry Bird as his team president. So, no, I, I, I do think that at some point Larry... You know, Larry would have to make the call. It wouldn't be Herb. But I think Larry's in it for a couple more years. Uh, You know, whether he would outlast his coach, I don't know. Last thing for you um, in regards to the next coach. What struck me again was Larry talking less so about offense. He did hit on he wants to play faster. He wants to score more points still. We get that. But he also hit on several times we need a motivator and we need a guy that's in these guys' ear. From that yep. standpoint, it seems more like a guy like Brian Shaw as the head coach that commands the respect of guys, and then you can fill in your assistant coaches. Does make more sense than maybe we first thought. Yeah, I, I think Brian Shaw, uh, McMillan, who is a uh, who is a terrific NBA player. The argument and, there, though, Bob, would be Nate's already on staff. If he wasn't doing it already, what's going to change? Well, I, not that I, I believe that. There's that argument, though. I think though. you're in a different position as a, as a head coach. 
than you are as an assistant coach. I think as a head coach, you can do more to hold guys accountable than you can as an assistant coach. Assistant coaches tend to play good cop, you know, to the head coach's bad cop. But I think what he wants is Jim O'Brien in <laughs> terms of the irascibility and the yeah. tough-mindedness, but a better Jim O'Brien. But I, I do think he wants more of, I don't know what you can say on your air, but I'll say it, he wants more of a hard-ass. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that's what Larry grew up with, and that's what he's comfortable with. I don't think, I know that Larry was never comfortable with Frank's relentless positivism and, and or positivity, whatever the word is. I, I just don't think that ever struck Larry in the, in the right way, that Larry believes in coaches who should be taskmasters, and I think that's what, what he's going to be looking for looking at going forward. Yeah, you want someone that will lay the hammer down and tell it like it is a little bit like himself, especially as Larry was that trash talker. Maybe he wants more of that back and forth and a good conversation, but productive. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch, but, you know, at some point, at some point, you have to look in the mirror if you're Larry Bird. Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate it, Kravy. You can read all of his work on WTHR.com. He's on the airwaves across Indiana. And for the first time, he's on the Pacers podcast. I appreciate it, Bob. Okay, Scott. Thank you, man. Once again, thanks to Bob Kravitz for joining the podcast and having a thoughtful, enjoyable conversation about what just transpired down at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Yeah, you guessed it. My shout-out for this week goes to now former Pacers head coach Frank Vogel. I can't say enough about how good he has been to me over the years. I first met Frank as he came in on Jim O'Brien's staff in 2007. I had been a ball boy there for about five years, and he kept things lively. He kept things enjoyable. He kept things fresh, and and he didn't treat us down. If anything, he was one of those guys that were always there for us if we had a question, if we had a comment or wanted to learn something. And then when I transitioned over to media full-time, he, he was right there to say, hey, let me know if there's anything I can ever do for you and impact your life. And I sit back and, wow, this is an NBA head coach, a millionaire, who was still the Frank Vogel that I knew as an assistant coach back in 2007. He's probably the same guy that he was as a scout and a video coordinator. That's who he is. And over these years, he was just a great representative of Indianapolis, of the Pacers organization, and he will be missed. There's no doubt about that. Anytime I needed a quote, anytime I really wanted to get in-depth on a subject, or even ask him an off-the-wall question, because I enjoy those stories as well, he answered them with a nice smile and was always willing to help a story. He wasn't a bad coach either, right? Well, that will do it for this episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. It's tough to see Frank Vogel go, and more to that that a lot of people don't think about is how many jobs it impacts. And a change like this at just one position may have a trickle-down effect to as many as a dozen jobs. That remains to be seen. Thanks for joining me again on this episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or on Stitcher. Just search Pacers podcast. It's the first return. Click subscribe and bam, you'll be the first one to know when a new episode has been posted. We'll talk to you again next week.